Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We gather this morning and we sing songs declaring your goodness and glory. Who is like you, God? You who made heaven and earth, you who set your glory above the heavens, you who in your kindness stoop down, who show up, who meet us. Would you do it again, Lord, here? Is it possible? Is it too much to ask? That you would meet us in all of the different places we are today. Some of us singing these songs, are it's easy. I've decided to follow Jesus right on. For others, not so much. Would you stoop down and meet us, Lord? Meet us where we are and then lift us to the place you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to set you up for a second. Don't fall for it. How many of you, by show of hands, are enjoying the sunshine? Nice. How many of you have memorized Philippians 2, 5 through 11? You getting there? Okay. Reverend Stravers, is that an honest yes, you've got it? All right. Come on up then. Come on up. You've got it, man. You've got it. I did the same thing in the first service. It went great. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. I'll help you. I'll help you. Yeah, it's printed right there. Can- Candy's got it. <laughs> you just said I shouldn't have raised my hand. <laughs> so I'll help you as, as, it, as you need it, okay? Isn't this great? Aren't you glad you're at church today? Come next week. Come next week, too. It'll be awesome. All right, let's see how this goes. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Is this on? <laughs> no. <laughs> Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature... God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of man, being found in human likeness, Being found in human likeness, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God raised him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
So are we still okay? <laughs> you'll, you'll say that again? <laughs> he said, I'll take a pill. <laughs> uh, it's, that's Reverend Stravers, by the way. Who doesn't want that voice? That is sweet right there. Uh, what, what the Apostle Paul does in the book of Philippians becomes what the church has been doing for 2,000 years, singing a song. It's called the Christ Hymn. It's one of two places in Scripture where Paul spontaneously breaks into song. Uh, And we've been singing it now for 2,000 years, and the song just keeps getting lower and lower, like Reverend Straver's voice, lower. I'm not speaking in terms of octaves, actually. I'm thinking theologically. It just keeps going down and farther down. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. He became obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He just keeps going down, farther down, farther and farther down to find you, to meet you, to lift you out of whatever downness it is you experience into the goodness of his kind and gracious presence. He just keeps going down. Isn't that amazing? What Paul does theologically in Philippians, the apostle John does in a story In his gospel, it's chapter 18. I want you to listen carefully and listen well. Jesus went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Uh, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus had met there often with the disciples. Judas brought with him a detachment of soldiers and police from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying lanterns, torches, weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked, Whom are you looking for? They replied, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. Judas, who was standing with them, when they heard him say, I am he, stepped back and fell to the ground. Jesus asked again, whom are you looking for? They replied, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I told you. I am he. So if I'm the one you're looking for, let these men go. He said this to fulfill what he had spoken. I did not lose a single one you gave to me. Simon Peter had a sword and he drew it. Striking the slave of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Simon Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? So the soldiers, with their officer and the Jewish police, 
arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas is the one who had advised the Jews it was better for one person to die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. That other disciple was known by the high priest, so he followed Jesus into the courtyard. Since he was known by the high priest, he went out, spoke to the woman guarding the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Simon Peter, you're not one of his disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. The slaves and the police had had made a charcoal fire for themselves and were standing there warming themselves because it was cold. Simon Peter was standing with them warming himself. The high priest asked Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching, and Jesus said, I've spoken openly to the world. I've taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews come together. I've held nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said. They know what I said. One of the police who was standing nearby when he said this struck him on the face and said, is that how you talk to the high priest? And Jesus said, if what I've said is wrong, testify to the wrong. But if what I've said is right, why do you strike me? Annas led Jesus bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Simon Peter was warming himself by the fire. And they asked him, you're not one of his disciples, are you? And he said, he denied it and said, I am not. Then then a relative of the slave of the high priest whose ear Peter had cut off said, Did I not see you with him in the garden? And he denied it. And at that moment, the cock crowed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's John chapter 18, verses 1 through 27. John wants us to follow Jesus to the garden. It reminds me of that old hymn song. Remember that one? I come to the garden alone. Anyone know that one? With the rousing chorus. And he walks with me and he talks with me. He tells me I am his own. What a great hymn, right? Different garden. (laughs) This garden, uh, Judas is on the move. Soldiers and the police, they've gathered. They're carrying lanterns and torches and weapons. They're ready for a fight. So is Peter. Uh, Peter's got a sword. I wonder if he carried it regularly. He's got a sword. He draws it. He strikes the slave of the high priest. He cuts off his ear. Blood is spilled. A curdling cry goes out. It's tense. John wants us to follow Jesus to that garden. Where a question is asked, a statement is made, and a call is extended. You probably noticed the question. If you're following along, this is John 18, verse 4. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, Whom are you looking for? That's the question. 
Whom are you looking for? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, whom are you looking for? That's the question. It's not the first time in John's gospel it's been asked either, actually. Uh, At the very beginning of John's gospel, just after the stunning proclamation and the word became flesh and lived among us, just after the, the amazing declaration, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, two of John's disciples start to follow Jesus. He gets his like James Bond sense that they're after him, so he turns around and you know what he says? You know what he asks? Take a wild guess. Whom are you looking for? John's gospel nearly begins with the question and nearly ends with the question, and it deserves to be asked still, whom are you looking for? Asked of us, ask of you, ask of any who say they follow Christ, whom are you looking for? It's an odd question if you stop to think about it. I mean, Judas knew him. He had led them there. He brought them to the garden. He had been with Jesus in that very garden. There must have been some sort of like awkward moment of hesitation, some sort of strange pause, you know, when someone's like looking at you and you're like, why are you looking at me? And you say, can I help you? And Jesus says, whom are you looking for? It deserves to be asked still, who, whom are you looking for? We have a tendency, probably all do, but I'll speak to Christian circles now. We have a tendency in Christian circles to identify things that we want, like, need, think ought to be, think ought to be true, and we project those things out. Hang with me now, I'm doing some philosophical work with you. We project those things out, name them God, and let them work back on us. A guy named, a philosopher named Feuerbach suggested this is what the whole Christian system is about. Just projections of your own interests that you then name God that work back on us. He used it to dismiss the Christian faith entirely. I think he's wrong to dismiss the Christian faith entirely, but I do think he's right to a lesser extent. We, we identify justice Reconciliation, unity, truth, mercy. We decide what those things are among ourselves. We project them out. We name them God and expect God to meet our definitions of what they are. And we end up with a God who looks an awful lot like me in the mirror. Whom are you looking for? The Lamb of God? who extends his hands willingly in the garden to be arrested and opens his arms wide on the cross? Whom are you looking for? Are you looking for the suffering servant who's beaten and laughed at and mocked and ridiculed and stripped bare, hung in the world's backyard as a curse? Whom are you looking for? Are you looking for the Christ who says, deny yourself, the Christ who says, Lose yourself. The Christ who says, empty yourself. The Christ who says, humble yourself. Whom are you looking for? I think it's a legitimate question that ought to be asked still. Or do you want the God who who gives you what you want? 
according to the way you want it? Do you want the God whose sole purpose in life is to make sure you're comfortable? The divine slot machine. Whom are you looking for? Not the God who might offer a challenging word. Not the God who might call you to something higher. We, we, we don't get the God that we project. We get the God that we need. John invites us to follow Jesus into the garden where a question is asked and a statement is made. Three times the same statement is made, actually. You probably noticed it. And when the Bible repeats itself, whenever it repeats itself, it's like signal flares, fireworks, loudspeaker. It's the Bible's way of emphasizing things. Uh, Verse 4 again, Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, Whom are you looking for? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, whom are you looking for? And they said to him, they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. There it is, three times. Three times, like holy, holy, holy times. Uh, in the heart language of the New Testament, that little phrase, I am he, can be, uh, sounds like this, ego, a me. Isn't that fun? You want to try it? Nice. Ego means I. Any Greek people? Greek scholars? So I can do whatever I want? Just wanted to clarify. Ego means I, and a me means I am. In in Greek, the verb, track with me now, this is going to get really boring. In Greek, the verb carries the subject of the verb. So, a me is I am. It's not am, it's I am. In English, it works differently. I can use a verb like run, but if I don't include the subject, the verb doesn't carry the subject, so I have to uh, include the subject like they run, we run, I run, you know? But in Greek, the subject goes with the verb, I am. So, to say ego a me, because a me is sufficient, to say ego a me is to say I am. which ought to sound like something Jesus said somewhere else in John's gospel. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door of the sheep. I am the true vine, which ought to sound like something God said in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, to Moses, When he showed up to him out of the bush that was burning but not consumed, and he said, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am, which is really interesting. I'm going to think about that later. And God says, I want you to deliver my people from slavery in Egypt. And Moses says, no, 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 I can't. I don't even talk good. And God's like, do it. And Moses says, whom shall I tell them sent me? And God says, I am. am. Tell them I am sent you. And now Christ in the garden says, I am, I, ego a me, am. God in the garden. God in the flesh. God among us. God here. God now. Peter makes a statement too in the garden. 
I guess they're in the courtyard at this point. Did you notice Peter's statement? He's with that other disciple. Why don't they just tell us who it is? Probably because it's John. Is led into the courtyard where Jesus is, and the guard, the woman guarding the gate, says to Simon Peter, You're not one of his disciples, are you? And what does Peter say? I am not. Because you're having so much fun. Ook Amy. What is Amy? Ook is not. Not I am. And, and, and word order, little Reese, is really important in the Greeks. Not I am. Not. No. Uh-uh. I am. Beyond the obvious, Peter's denial of Christ and being a Christ follower, it's also an identity statement that I think we should borrow. Not in terms of denying Christ, but in terms of naming for ourselves what's most true of us. Not I am. You know what I mean? I am not the way, the truth, and the life. I am not the good shepherd. I'm not the door of the sheep. I'm not the resurrection and the life. I'm not the true vine. Ook me. Probably sounds obvious, right? I mean, clearly Peter's not God. Clearly. And if any one of us suggested we were, you'd either be admitted or we'd roll our eyes. So then why do we act like it? You know what I mean? Autonomy, my own autonomy, is God. And self-expression is worship. And serving my own needs, wants, and desires is the way I go about my life. All the while, ook a me. I am not. Just for fun, you don't have to tell me. Take a look at your budget. You know? And, and just consider how much of the money you make goes to the purposes of your own needs, wants, and desires. You know, it'd be an interesting exercise. Okay, you're in college. You don't have any money. Uh, think about the way you use your time. How much of your time is devoted to serving your needs, wants, and interests? Or just your thought life. How much time do you spend thinking about what you need, want, and desire? All the while, uke me. Our lives offered to Christ for whatever good they'll play in his larger kingdom, uke me. I wonder, I wonder how that would affect the conversation you have with your spouse. Uke me. I wonder if that has anything to say to the way we engage our neighbor. Uke me. I wonder, I wonder if that influences the way we engage a classmate or a coworker or even a, one of our kids. Ook a me. John invites us to follow Jesus to the garden where a question is asked and a statement is made and a call is extended. 
This is verse 19. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. Whoa. Stop and think about that. Why do you ask me, Jesus says. Ask those who heard what I said. They know what I said. Really? Jesus on trial for his life? Jesus led, bound, shuffled off to Annas first, and then later to Caiaphas, and soon enough Pilate, and then to the cross, and then buried in the grave. Jesus on trial for his life, given an opportunity, a moment to speak for himself. Tell him, Jesus, tell him, set him straight, Jesus. He says, why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said. They know what I said. Jesus makes himself dependent on your testimony. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. I think it might be a good idea for us to take seriously our testimony life. You don't get to choose on this one. Sorry. This one's not up to you. This one's, whether you like it or not, choose it or not, prefer it or not, would rather it be otherwise or not, is the way it is. So Paul says things like, how will they know unless someone tells them? So, so Jesus says, you are my witnesses. Or as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Why do you ask me? Ask them who heard what I said. They know what I said. So how's it going? Uh, Leslie Newbegin, missionary to India for 40 years, then offered some important words to the church in North America. If the gospel is to challenge the public life of society, it will only be by movements that begin with the local congregation that would be you, in which the reality of the new creation is present, known, and experienced, and from which men and women will go into every sector of public life to claim it for Christ, to unmask the illusions which have remained hidden, and to expose all areas of public life to the illumination of the gospel. But that will only happen as and when local congregations, that would be you, renounce an introverted concern for their own life and recognize that they exist for the sake of those who are not members as sign, instrument, and foretaste of God's redeeming grace for the whole life of society. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. So I'm on a little steering committee uh, for a Louis Palau evangelistic festival that will be held in West Michigan September 8 and 9. This is like full-on unabashed evangelism, calling people to follow Jesus. Uh, it's, I mean, I'm going to say this boldly, uh, so you can like, do the research on your own and then let me know. This will be the largest collaborative effort between churches in West Michigan ever. Currently, there are 325 churches participating 
the expectation is there will be 500 by September 8 and 9. And leading up to the festival, where full-on, flat-out believe in Jesus, there will be acts of service in communities all across West Michigan, calling it City Serve or One West Michigan. So I'm on this little steering committee, kind of planning and preparing for this to happen. On Thursday, at Calvary Church in Grand Rapids on the Beltline, uh, there were 500 pastors and church leaders uh, preparing, listening, uh, being encouraged. Uh, one of the speakers was a man named Ed Stetzer. Anybody heard that name? Ed Stetzer is kind of a church guy, you know, like public churchman, sort of. Uh, he offered a statistic. My source is him. I can't remember his source, so either dismiss it if you'd like or just trust me. Ed Stetzer suggested 21% of American Christians pray to win the lottery. 20%, so that would be 1% less, 20% of American Christians pray for someone they know who doesn't know Jesus. You got that math? That's really bad math. 21% pray to win the lottery. And, you know, we can be like, oh, come on, really? Except I spend a lot of time praying for what I need, what I want, what I desire. And full disclosure, can I keep my job? I don't remember the last time I prayed for someone who doesn't know Jesus. Maybe, maybe, maybe... Well, why, why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. So here's the thing. Here's the deal. I've, I've challenged you to memorize Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Now I'm going to challenge you again. I want you to get in your mind a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, classmate. I want, I want you to get them in your mind. And I want you to ask yourself, have I been a good friend if the answer is no, start there. Be a good friend. Like, care for, for them. Like, be nice <laughs> and kind. And like, even actually go out of your way. If the answer is yes, then I want you to ask yourself the question, have I told them about Jesus? We're friends. The relational capital is high. Trust is real. Have I mentioned Jesus? The God who just keeps going down, farther down, farther and farther. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. He became obedient. He keeps going down until he finds us and meets us and lifts us out of whatever downness we know. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. So I want you to come to the table today. I want you to come to the table to meet the God who just keeps coming down farther and farther, the bread broken. Farther and farther down, the cup poured out. farther and farther down for us and for our salvation. Amen? Let's pray together.
Father, Son, and Spirit, God of mercy and grace and truth and love, you who stoop down, who take on, who come to us, would you meet us here at this table through the bread and with the cup? Would you meet us here? Would you meet us here to equip us and empower us to be the people you need us to be for the world until that great day when, when every knee bends and every tongue confesses Jesus Christ as Lord, until that great day when the gates of the city are wide open by the day and there's no night there, until that great day when people from every language and tribe and nation all gather around the Lamb singing, worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Meet us here, Lord. Stoop down again, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.